This podcast of Central Indiana Today is brought to you by Figment 2 McDonald's. Stop by any of their stores in Avon, Brownsburg, Danville Speedway, and 10th Street next to Ben Davis High School for great specials, including the two for $2.50 and two for $5. They also have all-day breakfast items, which now include biscuits and McGriddles. And coming soon to the Danville location, Wednesdays will be family night. Figment 2 McDonald's is a proud supporter of Central Indiana Today and WYRZ 98.9. Hello, this is Kevin Kersey of the Kevin Kersey Agency. The Kevin Kersey Insurance Agency, a member of the Farmers Insurance Group, can help you with your home, life, auto, or business needs. And our phone number is 317-286-3481. We can also be found on Facebook at the Kevin Kersey Agency or at our website, www.farmersagent.com forward slash kkersey. And you're always welcome to stop in at 480 East Northfield Drive, Suite 300 in Brownsburg. The Kevin Kersey Agency presents Central Indiana Today on 98.9 WYRZ. Today's program is made possible by the Kevin Kersey Agency. And now here's your host, Rob Kendall. You're listening to Central Indiana Today. I'm Rob Kendall. Thanks for joining us on the program today. We're going to speak with Ariel Davidson from the Hoover Institute and she is a Russian expert. She has a degree in Russian from Middlebury College and now works for the Hoover Institute, writes a lot of economic-related pieces, but uh, really knows Vladimir Putin and Russia quite well. So I wanted to go in-depth, find out, is there anything to this Russia-United States allegations? Did they meddle in the 2016 elections? Was the president involved? Did Putin want President Trump and his team to win? We go inside all of that right now with Ariel Davidson from the Hoover Institute. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. Putin is somebody that came to power in 99, and he came at, he had very auspicious timing in terms of when he came to power in Russia. Uh, oil prices skyrocketed at the time, and people sort of associated that economic boom uh, with Putin, because prior to that, under Yeltsin, there had been complete chaos. Uh, the fall, the Soviet Union, and then these various privatization campaigns that were a complete disaster. So understandably, Russians sort of associated democracy with chaos in some ways. Uh, and, you know, Putin's always called his sort of consolidation of power a sovereign democracy. I, I think that's an interesting sort of Orwellian term. But, you know, I think what comes down to is that Putin is a very strong leader who knows how to use his power effectively. Uh, and he knows he really understands his population quite well. Um, there's, you know, numerous polls that come out that suggest the popularity of Putin. And a lot of times you'll hear media pundits say, well, you know, Russian polls, you can't really trust them. And, and that is true in a lot of senses. But the popularity of Putin in Russia is, is pretty undeniable. Uh, the class that really resists him the most is, is pretty much the intellectual class. But on the whole, he's he's widely popular. Get our guesses. He's that... not a good man. Get he's guess... not a good man, though. So that was my <laughs> I was giving my concession assertion here. He's he's not a good man. He's an effective leader in the situation in which he's in in Russia at the moment. But he's he's not somebody that that I would trust. Hey, get our guess is Ariel Ariel Davidson. She's with the Hoover Institute. We're talking a little bit about Vladimir Putin. She has a a BA in Russian. Um, how did you get interested in studying Russian and in particular kind of being drawn to government related issues? Right. So I actually, I grew up, um, 
I had a stepmother that spoke Russian, and so I grew up around the language, uh, Russian culture in general, and I was always sort of a language geek, and when I got into college, I started really trying to say, you know, I should learn to read and write this language that I grew up around, and uh, I ended up focusing on specifically radical Islamic terror in Russia and in the North Caucasus region. And the last chapter of my thesis was actually on ISIS, interestingly enough, back when ISIS was the JV team. So <laughs> it's obviously changed quite a bit since then. Uh, but I, you know, I just fundamentally enjoyed the language. I found it fascinating. I think the geopolitical implications of the fall of the Soviet Union are consequences. Obviously, we're still feeling today. So, Ariel, um, let me yeah, let me I, let me ask you this, Ariel. Um, has Putin always had an interest in U.S. elections? Has he always had an interest in trying to be a player in them? Or do you believe this whole thing is sort of blown out of proportion and he doesn't have any interest? I think, can it be both? <laughs> Absolutely. I think, I think he definitely has an interest in, uh, you know, obviously the U.S. being the world power it is and being the most powerful nation in the world. He definitely has a vested interest in who is president of the United States. However, uh, I think that... You know, this idea that Russia is obsessed with the U.S. election is is sort of, it's a little almost conceited in a way, I think, because, you know, Russia has its own host of issues that it's dealing with that are completely entirely separate from the United States. You know, I I always tell that there's this sort of warming and cooling that takes place between uh, Putin and the various presidents. I don't know if you've heard the story of after 9-11, but the first phone call that George W. Bush received after the Twin Towers were hit was from Putin. And he called him up and he said, you know, I understand exactly what you're going through. We're dealing with this Islamic terror situation in our country as well. And he wasn't being dishonest when he said that because uh, Russia has been, in particular from the North Caucasus region, Chechnya, Dagestan, which was the home of the Boston bombers, if you remember a few years back. Uh, that's been a source of huge um, radicalization for and within Russia, and, it, and you know, about 80% of suicide bombings in Moscow have been due to Chechen nationalists. Well, I guess nationalists is the wrong word since Chechens are Russians, but you know, people coming from the North Caucasus region. So, you know, Russia does have its own sort of terror woes, um, but I, I do think that you know, they, they do have a vested interest in establishing a better relationship with the United States um, just based on. You know, whether we like to accept it or not, Russia, there, I think there's a longing within Putin's uh, Kremlin at the moment to reassert some of the hegemony that the USSR had once had in Eastern Europe. And the United States under Obama was, you know, very cognizant of that and tried extra hard, especially when it came to um, dealings with the Ukraine, to make sure that Russia felt the full disapproval of the United States. And we got other countries to sort of go along with us in that endeavor. Um, and so that, that sort of thwarted at least Putin's plans to do things slyly and be, you know, less reprimanded on the international stage. So, yeah, they don't want to be openly condemned by the United States. They don't want the United States to get the rest of Europe to uh, openly censure and reprimand them. Uh, I think they, Putin would like to go about his business and not have the United States stand in the way. Uh, I think that I disagree with that <laughs> fundamentally just because there are egregious human rights abuses taking place under Putin's watch. And we have to be, you know, very careful how we deal with the Russian government in general. Um, but I'm just, you know, I'm trying to give you the perspective of what I would think is going through um, 
the Kremlin's thought process, if that makes sense. You know, I guess it's Ariel David. I never want this to come across as an apology. It's more just giving you sort of um, a short, brief history on sort of the relationship that we've had with Russia and how it's been. You know, a lot of a lot of our not to ramble on here, but a lot of our um, relationships with Russia have been completely shaped by NATO and the post World War II dynamic. Talking Vladimir Putin and Russia with the Hoover Institute's Ariel Davidson. More on the way next. You're listening to Central Indiana Today. Participate in global diplomacy and bring the world to the Hoosier State and your home. AUSA is a top-tier nonprofit agency that matches exceptional high school students with qualified host families for a rewarding exchange experience that cultivates leadership skills, develops intercultural awareness, and enhances local families and communities. For more information about hosting a student or studying abroad, visit www.ayusa.org. That's www.ayusa.org or call 415 415- Two three one three eight seven one. That's four one five two three one three eight seven one. Indiana Family Dentistry is located at five zero five North Green Street in Brownsburg. Doctor Will Hine practices general and cosmetic dentistry with services ranging from veneers and whitening to implants and complete smile restorations. Indiana Family Dentistry's phone number is eight five two five nine 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 and website is infamilydentistry.com. Indiana Family Dentistry is a proud supporter of Hendricks County and Community Radio. You're listening to Central Indiana Today. I'm Rob Kendall. Thanks for joining us. Speaking today with Ariel Davidson of the Hoover Institute, talking primarily about Russia and Putin. She has a degree from Middlebury College in Russian, knows the Russian landscape, economy, political alignments there. So I thought it'd be fun to go inside, take a look at what exactly is Russia like? What is Putin like? And uh, talk about some of these big topics that are in our country today, including whether the Russians and Putin uh, attempted to meddle in the 2016 elections. We now continue with our conversation. Is it your belief that ultimately Putin recognizes, and let's go to Trump's side a little bit as well and talk about this relationship here, that they do ultimately need to get along? Do our countries want to coexist from a government perspective? Let's put it this way. I think that Putin, and this is obviously my, you know, my, educated guess because you can really know what's going through Putin's head. <laughs> I would have, I would be making a lot more money if I knew that answer. Uh, <laughs> but I will put it this way. I think that Putin would like to see him. He would like to see Russia get along with the United States insofar as he can achieve his own political aims. So he sort of, he doesn't see, you know, a working functioning relationship with the United States as an end in and of itself. He sees it as a means to an end that he imagines for himself. And so, you know, when you look at a a stable relationship with the United States as a tool rather than an end in and of itself, then it sort of becomes something you're willing to manipulate, compromise on, not be faithful about, not treat with the respect that perhaps it deserves. Um, And, you know, I guess you could argue that about most political leaders, but in particular when it comes to um, Putin, he doesn't, he doesn't, there's not a sense of altruism that you might associate with other um, European leaders. Why? So, you know, I think that there's that's something to keep in mind when we think about Putin. So I do think the short answer is I do think he would like a functioning relationship with the United States. But whether, you know, he's going to put it towards nefarious ends, I don't know. 
Why does he associate with the bad actors that he knows is going to make us angry? Syria is a great example. If he really, if his best means to an end is to get along with us, it seems like he does things that deliberately defy us. Right, because I think that he, again, when I, you know, I, I use that as as a way to show that when he's given two options, he might choose something that he thinks in the short term at least is more advantageous and more useful for him. So if it's not if it's not something if the end in and of itself is not to have a great relationship with the United States but to get what he wants and he thinks that, you know, enabling actors in Syria is going to get him what he wants faster than he will do that. You know, Syria is a sort of a weird you know, the Middle East in general, post Afghanistan climate is, is very strange. And I say that because I think in some ways Putin has sort of not given up on Eastern Europe, but he sees the Middle East as of another uh, arena in which he can sort of attempt to exercise uh, more influence. And, you know, what's, what's interesting about the Syrian and Iranian conflict um, and, and Russia involved in that is they see themselves as sort of a mediator in some ways, at least initially they did between the two. And I thought that was always kind of interesting because he said, you know, they're sort of inserting themselves in the situation in some ways in an effort to say, hey, look, you know, we, we created peace in the Middle East. We did this. And, you know, we now we've allied our, you know, we've gained ourselves alliances in the Middle East. So, you know, again, everything is a very, not to say that you shouldn't be selfish as a leader, but everything Putin does, you know, he's doing it for himself 110%. Um, or at least, you know, Russian geopolitical interests. There's, and even if he has to commit egregious human rights abuses, to do that or you know thousands of people have to die in order for that to happen he'll do that and that's you know that's the horrifying reality of it um and you know again going back to russian election meddling do i think that's something that putin's really overly concerning himself with no i don't uh do i think it's something that the mainstream media has sort of concocted and built up in order to distract uh distract us or distract at least president trump from um enacting his domestic agenda i do and i think you know i always leave people with this thought when i say i i think radical islamic terror is a far bigger threat on the global scale than um russia election hacking you know this this whole thread that the media has perpetrated um it's just really bizarre to me that you know this is received so much press coverage when i think there are other domestic both domestic and international issues that are much more um, much more fleshed out in terms of evidence and much more, you know, deserving of our time. Uh, but that's, you know, that's that's where I come down on that. <laughs> Ariel, lo- let me ask you this. We have heard from our own government, uh, the investigative sources so far, that say Putin wanted Trump to win the election. That's why they allege that he did this. Is it your belief that Trump wanted or Putin wanted Trump to win? And if so, why? Uh, you know, I think that... That's sort of a tougher question. Do I think he wanted to, you know, there's there's a lot of theories that gets bounced back and forth. The one I actually found to be the most sort of interesting or aligned with what I perceive Putin's objectives to be is that he just wanted to meddle for the sake of meddling, for the sake of causing uh, problems within the election. Um, do I think he actively thought, do I think he actively wanted Trump to win? Maybe perhaps on a personal level, Um but I'm not. I think, you know, if anything, meddling in the election in some way, shape, or form would have been more just a, a power play in some ways. You know, you're not the United States isn't as impenetrable as they think they are. Um, but I, I think I'm trying to think here now the best way to put this. 
Yeah, so, I, you know, I don't think that his the Russian election meddling directly came from him either. Um, I think that there's, you know, they always talk about the Russian trolls online and, you know, fleets of people in Russia sort of um, attacking uh, the integrity of the United States election. I mean, that's, that's possible, but, I, again, I don't know if it was directly done to benefit Trump or more just to sort of jeopardize the sanctity of the United States election and sort of make people question the um, the integrity of the elections themselves, at again, least Americans. Again, our guest, uh, Ariel Davidson, she is a Russian expert, uh, studied Russian at Middlebury College. She now works for the Hoover Institute. Uh, real quick, before we move on to something else that you've done that's very interesting to me, do you believe this will ultimately harm the president long term? Is there any smoking gun or is this all a big media manufactured crisis? But I guess the best way to put this would be that I think Trump's best and it would be in Trump's best interest to let this investigation take its course, you know, tweet as little as possible on Russia. And I'd love to hear I you know, I actually don't have a problem with President Trump tweeting, as a lot of people in the media do. I think when the the tweets are effective, they're really effective. Uh and I think he can use the that, you know, the following has to his to his benefit to tweet effective, you know, policy measures and things that he's working on, at least in the domestic arena. Because the reality is, is that, you know, Ben Shapiro talks about this best, uh, but he's he's spoken quite extensively about how the media turns a dial to 11 every single time they hear something related to Russia, whether it's, you know, confirmed or unconfirmed. And that sort of history, you know, that sort of hysterical response is, I think, desensitized the American population in some way. I think, People are much less receptive to hearing about Russia. I think, quite frankly, they're sick of hearing about Russia. Uh, they would love to hear more about healthcare. Uh, they'd love to hear more about how we're going to deal with, uh, you know, drug overdoses and the opioid crisis. They'd love to hear more about, you know, job creation, how we're going to deal with declining opportunities in manufacturing. You know, these are things that Americans actually would like to hear about. And I think the president is well positioned to talk about those things. And that's, that's, you know, I think it's going to come from the president himself saying, I'm not going to be tweeting about Russia. I'm just going to do my job and how I know to do it best. And I'm not going to focus on sort of CNN talking about how many ice cream scoops I've had. I'm going to talk about, you know, what 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 are we doing in terms of healthcare? How am I pushing the Senate along to get done what we need to get done? So, you know, if I could if I could um, say what will come of the Russia Trump stuff, I think ultimately nothing will come of it. Um, I think this meeting with Donald Trump Jr. was damaging, but I don't think it's, you know, at all career-ending to the extent that the left would like it to be. Uh, does it show attempted collusion or, you know, kind of sleazy activity? It does. But ultimately, you know, there's no evidence or no proof that Trump himself, President Trump, was involved at all. And at the end of the day, that's who I'm most worried about. I'm not worried about necessarily a campaign official. I'm worried about the president. And if he's not involved in it, and it's time for him to sit down and get to work on other stuff. More on the way with Ariel Davidson of the Hoover Institute. When we return, you're listening to Central Indiana Today. Rob Kendall here speaking with Donald James from Impact Youth Mentoring. Donald, what is Impact Youth Mentoring? Rob, we are a not-for-profit group pairing mentors with at-risk youth in Hendricks County and developing tomorrow's leaders. How long has Impact Youth been around and how many children have been impacted? We were formed in 2011 and have impacted more than 125 kids through our mentoring and after-school tutoring services. So how can folks get involved with Impact Youth? We are always in need of some good folks who are interested in becoming a mentor for children in Hendricks County who could use mentoring. And if someone wants more information? 
You can find us on Facebook by searching Impact Youth Mentoring or at our website, impactyouthmentoring.org. You're listening to Central Indiana Today. I'm Rob Kendall. Thanks for joining us. Speaking with Ariel Davidson of the Hoover Institute. She also writes for The Federalist and has an interesting post about the impact of minimum wage on restaurants and what happens to jobs in restaurants of people who get a rise in the minimum wage. Yeah, so this actually was a um, paper that recently came out of um, Harvard Business School, and it was two researchers, I believe a couple actually, and they worked on this paper together. They focused primarily on the San Francisco restaurant industry, and they noticed uh, they used Yelp reviews in order to track the history and activity of a restaurant, as well as its sort of rating and how, you know, the quality of the restaurant itself. And they noticed that for a uh, three-and-a-half-star restaurant, so median restaurant on Yelp, it had a 14% increased likelihood of shutting down with every dollar increase in the minimum wage. I thought this paper was fascinating, uh, simply on the level of, you know, when we discuss minimum wage hikes, we always ask, you know, how is this affecting the worker? You know, is the worker going to lose his job? Is um, they're going to be some sort of restructuring in the company. Are they going to eliminate positions? Now, you know, we're not just talking about a company restructuring. We're talking about a company actually shutting down because it cannot afford to cover its operational costs. And to me, I, I find that something that's sort of missing in the argument. And the researchers sort of touch on that in their introduction when they talk about, you know, our research is different because we're looking at how this is impacting strictly the firm. And, you know, in California in particular, it's hugely relevant, especially to minority populations, because over 50 percent of the California restaurant industry is uh, comprised of minority workers. And so when you have restaurants literally shutting down their doors, you're cutting out job opportunities um, and it's going to be hurting minority communities the most. So, you know, I thought that was something that was worth noting, especially when you see all these campaigns for the fight for 15 uh, the Fight for 15 is a national campaign to increase minimum wage to $15, and it's actually aligned itself with the Black Lives Matter movement for you know racial justice. But my point in this article was, you know, this these minimum wage hikes are hurting minority communities the most. You know, you're getting rid of entry level jobs essentially, and there's actually you know there's been some congressional um, congressional budget office actually re- released a report in 2014 that basically the takeaway was minimum wage hikes, they you know, they increase the earnings of the people who get to keep their jobs, but job loss is still very relevant. And we're seeing that in cities where uh yes, job there's less there's less available job opportunities for workers. And even in Seattle there was that paper that came out fairly recently that said not only are there less jobs, but the earnings of those that keep their jobs actually fell. Um, I haven't had the chance to look over the paper thoroughly myself, but this was, I read a few articles on it. Um, and I found that to be pretty alarming because the argument for minimum wage has always been, well, you know, the ones that keep their jobs get to have higher pay. Special thanks to Ariel Davidson of the Hoover Institute for sharing her expertise on Vladimir Putin and Russia, and also talking a little bit about the impact of minimum wage on workers in America. That's going to do it for us today. Don't forget, if you missed any part of today's show, check out the podcast anytime you want. We're on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search Central Indiana Today. You can download the show right to your smartphone or tablet. Go back and listen anytime you want. As always, the podcast presented by McDonald's. Till next time, I'm Rob Kendall saying have yourself a great evening. You've been listening to the Kevin Kersey Agency presents Central Indiana Today on 98.9 WYRZ. 
made possible by the Kevin Kersey Agency. An archive of today's program can be heard at our website, wyrz.org. Tune in next time for another edition of the Kevin Kersey Agency presents Central Indiana Today with your host, Rob Kendall. This podcast of Central Indiana Today is brought to you by Figment 2 McDonald's. Stop by any of their stores in Avon, Brownsburg, Danville Speedway, and 10th Street next to Ben Davis High School for great specials, including the two for $2.50 and two for $5. They also have all-day breakfast items, which now include biscuits and McGriddles. And coming soon to the Danville location, Wednesdays will be family night. Figment 2 McDonald's is a proud supporter of Central Indiana Today and WYRZ 98.9. Hello, this is Kevin Kersey. Since 1968, our family has been helping customers with their insurance needs. We provide insurance coverage for life, home, auto, and recreational vehicles. And our phone number is 317-286-3481. The Kevin Kersey Agency can also be found on Facebook at The Kevin Kersey Agency or at our website, www.farmersagent.com forward slash kkersey. And you're always welcome to stop in at 480 East Northfield Drive, Suite 300 in Brownsburg. The Kevin Kersey Agency is a proud member of the Farmers Insurance Group. Participate in global diplomacy and bring the world to the Hoosier State and your home. AUSA is a top-tier nonprofit agency that matches exceptional high school students with qualified host families for a rewarding exchange experience that cultivates leadership skills, develops intercultural awareness, and enhances local families and communities. For more information about hosting a student or studying abroad, visit www.ayusa.org. That's www.ayusa.org or call 415 415- Two three one three eight seven one. That's four one five two three one three eight seven one. Rob Kendall here, speaking with Donald James from Impact Youth Mentoring. Donald, what is Impact Youth Mentoring? Rob, we are a not-for-profit group pairing mentors with at-risk youth in Hendricks County and developing tomorrow's leaders. How long has Impact Youth been around, and how many children have been impacted? We were formed in 2011 and have impacted more than 125 kids through our mentoring and after-school tutoring services. So, how can folks get involved with Impact Youth? We are always in need of some good folks who are interested in becoming a mentor for children in Hendricks County who could use mentoring. And if someone wants more information? You can find us on Facebook by searching Impact Youth Mentoring or at our website, impactyouthmentoring.org. Indiana Family Dentistry is located at 505 North Green Street in Brownsburg. Dr. Will Hine practices general and cosmetic dentistry with services ranging from veneers and whitening to implants and complete smile restorations. Indiana Family Dentistry's phone number is 852-5999 and website is infamilydentistry.com. Indiana Family Dentistry is a proud supporter of Hendricks County and Community Radio.